This is our season one celebration episode. And to all of our babies out there, thank you for listening to Lose Accents, an immigrant podcast for the press and unbothered. Lose Accents covers the issues, stories, and topics to remind your lover, your cuddle buddy, all those trolls, and high school prom date that love is the only thing that matters. We are here to celebrate the looseness of our tongues, identities, and those beautiful folks that bring light to our lives. Our ultimate goal is to live an unapologetic, fearless, and intentionally vulnerable life. We are all works in progress, and we are here to share it all with you, babies. We are closing out our first season in the neighborhood that brought us together and nurtured our work as a creative partnership here in South Central LA. LA, you hold a special place in our hearts. But also, here we are at the home of Hood Digest, our homie Elmer's podcast, who opened up his home and the studio for us to talk to you once a month. Gracias, Elmer, and the Hood Digest team, and check out their handle at Hood Digest. We will add it to our description. To be honest, this is the part where I tell you, like, what a grab. But uh-huh. today, you'll need nothing apart from paying attention. Listener. We are serving shade, mm. wisdom, mm-hmm. love, mm. friendship. And I am so, so, so excited for this episode. I am Undocubay. I am Dangeli. And babies, we couldn't think of any other way to end this first season of our podcast than to do it with the one person that Dangeli and I love so much. Our very special guest is the one and only, my beautiful, tender lover, mi morenito del alma, my best friend, and my man, David Calvillo. Hola, amor. Hey, what's up, y'all? <laughs> hi, hi, hi. But you know what? Before we jump in, <sighs> let me open the margarita he brought me. <laughs> there you go. Right? There mm-hmm. we go. And before we do anything, take it. I just need to give credit where credit is due. So if you've been listening to us, paying attention, All you've heard long. us say baby. Oh yep. my. You've heard us show up outfits for Coachella. The season listen episode two. You've heard us snap our tongue. And all of that. <laughs> literally. All of that. Yeah. Comes that. from David. This man right. He here. made sure to execute every single Coachella outfit. He browsed through every store with each person to make sure the outfit was on point. Multiple days. You know what? So much trash. Months in advance. Trash. <laughs> and here we are. Before we get to the whys and hows of his antics, right? Let me just ask. How did y'all meet? First of all, <clears throat> before we get into the what's and hows of things, I just want to say thank you both so much. Aww. You have had some amazing names sit in this chair. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an honor for me to be part of this project. Um, your guests have been incredibly talented, intelligent, and uh, so as artists, so creative. So I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. Baby, like we thank you so much for that. Cause we, we have throughout the whole season have thought about like, how can we bring amazing folks to add to the diversity of the conversation, right? About immigration issues, about issues of anti-blackness, about issues um, in our contemporary political times. Uh, and throughout the whole time, like I would always come home to you and talk to you about like 
what we've done, what we're about to do, and you would always just sit there and listen. So thank you so much for that. And to have you here in this chair is kind of nice, isn't it? And fun. It is. Yeah. I'm excited. Our biggest fan. Our biggest fan. Our most loyal listener. And momager. Like, I feel like he's like our manager, our PR agent. Like, listen. (laughs) Designer. How many many times have you said, I need to get it together? Right? I'm I'm actually blushing right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh Ernesto. Okay, so we're drinking a refresca. Not even. I'm drinking margarita, baby. Oh, baby, listen. All right, all right, let's go. Let's go. So, how did you meet? Okay, this story would not have happened had it not been for me. Like, I have to make it clear. You slid. Yes, I had to make it clear to the folks out there in the universe. Facebook, el el, el internet, like my mom says, el face. Like, I slid into the DMs of this man. But first, I remember. Unapologetic. Yeah, I was like, girl, who, who this man? Who this man? So, in December, I remember it because I looked it up. Today, I went back into my Facebook account, which I haven't done in a long time. I looked it up and I said, December 2016, I added him as a friend on Facebook, right? And I waited a couple days and then he added me back. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that was the first slid. So now it's the second step. So the second step was to actually send him a message. And I actually, and I quote, I wrote this, thanks for the ad. I figure I introduce myself, even if electronically. The name is Ernesto. Favorite color is forest green. And I once had a pet duck named Pepe. Y feliz late cumpleaños. Tag, you're it. <laughs> so, I, mind you, I had been following this man for a couple of days now. And I had remembered that it was his birthday, like, late November. So I was like, I need him to know that I know that it was his birthday, that I'm out here. Uh, and I wanted to sound interesting, so that's the best way that I could come with it. So I said, "Tag, you're it." So you had you had done your research. Oh, for sure. Or like other people call it, like trolling. Yeah, troll, collateral. Yeah. You Colla- had you had mm-hmm. done a deep search. Oh yeah, babe. And what did you do? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm gonna let him tell. But I also <laughs> have the same messages, so I got it right here. So baby, get it right. Okay. Receipts. He, he has the receipts here. <laughs> Regardless, so we're, we're about to hear that, but I will tell you my side of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, we're in modern times. This is the year of our Lord, 2019. Stop. And in this modern day and age, I'm very familiar with DM culture and what that entails and what typically it involves and what it's like. And so, yeah, I got this DM from this stranger named Ernesto Rocha. <laughs> who lived in my city and we had a ton of mutual friends but we weren't friends ourselves and I got this this introduction and then tag I met so what happens next well what happened next is like I was waiting I remember I he was left a- you on red baby just say it. it's he okay left me on red, you're y'all. together now <laughs> Now, now in this world, in this world, I'm thinking like, how long is this man gonna leave me on red? Like, so I waited six hours. <laughs> I was like, come on, he gotta jump on it. You know what I'm saying? So he actually texted me back like within that day because I looked at the receipts, babe, and it was like December 2016, and he said, "Now that is a proper introduction, David. Here, nice to meet you. Color red, ice cream." Butter pecan, 
childhood pet, and this got me, yo. Dog named Fluffy. And then he said, parentheses, yep, his name was that gay. <laughs> like, Fluffy? I didn't even know he had a dog till I read this. Girl. Like, okay, you know, okay. So I did the assignment, though, if you noticed. I answered his questions mm -hmm. directly, and I, I carried on the banter. But I want to give you my mindset now. Usually when you get DMs like that, it's like, hey. Right. One word. Hi. What's your name? Or you're cute. Or just something very short and with not a lot of effort. Right. This introduction, including his pet duck named Pepe, I mean, it's not every day that somebody introduces themselves like that. I had to give this guy some attention and a chance. Question. Yes. Before you answer the DM, did you look at his pictures? <laughs> As I said, in the year of our Lord, 2019, I'm very familiar with DM culture and everything that that entails. Yeah. So I might have glanced at his profile yeah. slightly. Of course he did. Are you kidding me? So how, how else would he have known that we had all these like friends in mutual? Who asked you know who on the first date? Me. Mm. Yeah. And so, where did you go? Well, the rest was history. Now I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, because the rest was history. So, like, after that day, like, we kept on talking back and forth. And I, I think one of the – at one point, I, I, I was asking him, you know, what he was going to do. It was, like, the mm, holiday okay, season. Okay, you know, he had okay. just celebrated his birthday. So I, I asked him. I was like, let's go, you know, let's go out on a date. Let's go get some ice cream or coffee or whatever. And I think he told me he doesn't drink coffee. So I was like, oh, perfect. Let's go on, on dinner. So we went to dinner um, in a really nice, because I was like, this man is out here with the fashions, with the lifestyle. So I couldn't take him to like. Lifestyle. You know. Oh, please. The Chinese food place. Yeah. I'm, oh, hush. I'm, I'm here to say that when this human being right here invited me to dinner, I was absolutely going to say yes. Aww. Because the conversation continued that day and there was definitely something unique about him there was something special there there was the effort that he was putting into it was unlike anything i had experienced so i was definitely going to go on this date and see see this mysterious ernesto yeah so we went to downtown long beach we had dinner at a um, at a restaurant in the maya hotel and it was kind of like beachside, so I was like, okay, cool. It's like close to the beach, it's close to his to his house. And we set up the date. And so I'm showing up, and of course he was already there. He was there waiting for me. I think we had set up around like seven. So he must have gotten there, I don't know, 645, is that right, maybe? Something like that. <laughs> so I show up and I see this man straight ahead and he positioned himself so that he could see me coming up the of stairs. Of course, of course. Yeah, you know, so. I'm rolling I, my eyes right now because that's definitely him. Truly, absolutely. And you have something to say, baby? <laughs> I, I, I feel I'm being misrepresented. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the point go, of the story continue. is I, I go up the stairs and I see this man like just cross-legged waiting for me at the table <laughs> and Dicho y hecho, like what I had imagined was exactly what I saw, which was like this beautiful, like brown man dressed to the nines. And I just like immediately I was like, one thing that Ugh. I have to say, every every person who like who comes from New York, who has seen David on Instagram and like on my pictures, 
whenever they see him in person they're mm-hmm. like oh my god like it's it's kind of unreal he's so beautiful yeah he looks so much better in person and i don't even know how I that's possible so. yeah. it's true it's true wow i think so too so that was you know we started there and then we we kept dating you know for a while and you know the rest is history now we just celebrated two years of, of being in our relationship but we've been dating on and off close to three years now so indeed that's true but i like you know i'm a lady and <laughs> i f- i like to characterize those first few months as courting mm. we, we were courting mm. Mm. right got be- it before mm. before we formalized that yeah but now but this is my boyfriend of course and i'm super happy with our relationship and if i haven't said so yet babe i love you i love you too babe grace we have another guest in yes, the house. Yes, we do. And she's <laughs> making her appearance, she's her like, debut. Hello. Look at her. She's a mess. Grace, stop. So, baby, how did you meet David? I want to hear about that. What was your experience? Because it's been about a year now. Yes. I feel like we discussed that in the last episode, which was the Cumbiaton event. Yes. Um, you brought me along. He was shading from from be- even before you brought me, right? Yeah, Wasn't yeah, it yeah, that yeah. you told him, like, hey, like I'm coming through with like two homegirls. And he said, what is it, biological women? Yes. He's like, who are these biological <laughs> women you're hanging out with? <laughs> Little do you two know, I then made an announcement at the pre-party. Oh, my gosh, you guys. He's bringing two girls. <laughs> Which I, I love women, by the like, as in. Right. Who cares? Like, all of them. I love <laughs> girls. Like, who are they? I love ladies. I love- so, um, so I came through. And. I mean, the night was a blur. I feel like I was only sober for the first 10 minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I came in and then, for I think, the yes, the first person you introduced me to at the party was David. Yeah. And she gave me he gave me a kiss on the cheek. And then he introduced me to a crowd, mm-hmm. one by one. A I crew. did not, yeah, literally. It was just one after the other, one after the other. He gave me a kiss and he's like, oh. And then he starts telling me how he's been to New York a few times and connecting with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it. I feel like that's, and, and then the next time I saw him was at uh, downtown LA Pride. We ran into each other. Yeah. Yeah, because I went with my homegirl Diana. Mm-hmm. It was serendipity though. Yes, we ran into each other. And then I think, I mean, because at the Cumbiaton party, you were pretty lit. And then you oh, disappeared. Uh, that's that's very irregular. <laughs> <laughs> <Not me. laughs> that's unusual. And then you disappeared out of the blue. So I didn't see you again. Right. I, I, I think it's so funny because you had mentioned in our last episode, Angela, you were like, you know what? I am so happy and I'm so glad that these people showed up to Cumbiaton lit. Because you realized this was your crew. Yeah, literally. Because once I saw them, I was like, oh, my God. Like, these are the folks that I need to hang right. with. Like, they don't give a damn. No, they don't give a who. And then the next time I ran into them at the uh, DTLA Pride, and then he reintroduced me, now a bit more sober. I know. To the crowd yeah. once again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, he just welcomed me and made me feel at home and just comfortable, as he usually does with people. And... Yeah, that was it. I can tell you a little bit about what what my experience was like in that. Mm-hmm. I can recall that evening. I do remember the evening. <laughs> for, let, let it I be known. Ha- yeah, you have to yeah, I to do clarify. remember the yeah. evening well. We went to Cumbiaton. I was rolling in a group of, of around, around 12, I think. Yes. And then he introduced 
you and Vanessa to us, both of you are physically beautiful. Um, aesthetically, the style is on point. And so just with that visual, you know, the whole group was like, well, who are they? Okay, cool. And then the inside matches the outside. You are so charming, mm. so intelligent. And what really drew me in is that you're so open. Mm. There's an openness to you. You, you clearly came <laughs> to LA with a spirit of openness to meet new people, experience new things. And I said, this is the kind of energy I like around me. Um, and now y'all have been really good friends for yes. almost like the last year. I think one thing that solidified that's beautiful. my friendship with David, <clears throat> I always, I, I never forgot this. It was, I was going through a bad breakup mm. and really bad. And David was one of the people that would always check in because we had a group chat, right? With the baddies and Vanessa and, you know, all of us. And he always made it a like made it a thing to message me every other yeah. few days, mm -hmm. up, like outside of the group chat, just to check in and say, "How's your heart, baby?" <laughs> <laughs> and then um, one time that I always remember is that he told me this, and I feel like I want to say it just for the girlies out there who need to hear it. He said one day, and I, I think I might get the the wording wrong. He said one day, you're not, you're gonna meet a man who won't shadow you because you'll be too busy standing next to him. Mm. And I was like, holy shit, oh, Lord. You know when something just grabs you and just changes you? That was it. Mm. So from then on, from that day on, I just felt like I felt more connected to David than ever before as a friend. And I think that's when I realized that I had chosen him mm. to be part of my tribe. Yeah. Well, and you know what? When it comes to that question, people who don't know me well or who are just getting to know me, they maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable or think I'm not think I'm joking, think I'm being sarcastic. But because I do ask the, the specific question, how is your heart? I ask my friends that question all the time. I ask my partner that mm -hmm. it's a succinct question to get to the heart of what or the root of what I'm looking for is how are you really doing how's your emotional state in what in what place is your heart today what do you need to tell me what do I need to know about you which is you know when I I would hear that question from you it's different than like how are you how mm -hmm. are you doing you know it's just yeah. it doesn't lead anywhere but when you say how is your heart it's like ooh, let me yeah let me open it all up let me tell you that it's not just oh I've, i had this bad experience at work or I, i'm thinking so much in my mind about what i'm about to do but it's yeah. really about Definitely. how you're feeling well we develop automatic responses mm -hmm. right you, like if you think of the the um jack and jill went up the hill, hill. Uh -huh. when people ask you how was your day you automatically say good good it was fine so I try to mix it up and say, how's your heart? It it works, but sometimes people do kind of look at you funny. It's nice. I, I yeah, like I it. Yeah, I like it. I always feel like, oh, shit, he, he's listening. He's well, lit. Once yeah. folks get used to it, they know what to say, and they know that you really are genuinely interested in hearing something authentic mm -hmm. from them. Okay. So enough about what we think about you and how we've gotten to experience you. I'm, I'm curious, babe. So, David... How is your heart? Tell us about <laughs> you. Oh, wow. You guys are going yeah. for the gold. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How's my heart? Well, I'm sincerely excited to be here. I'm, I'm 
galvanized, I'm energized, I'm dragoonified. <laughs> um, Listen, look that up in the dictionary, yeah, dragoonified. You, you might not find it, but I right. but I encourage you to use the word regardless. Yes, yes. Um, I'm good. I'm in a good position in my life right now with my career, with my relationships, with my family. <clears throat> I'm kind of in a, a plateau. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what if for, for people that don't know you, that haven't gotten to meet you in the past, what would you like them to know about you? Like, who who is David? Who is David the person? David the person is someone who is full of personas. There is a daytime David. I'm a, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So what that means is I'm a psychotherapist by training. <clears throat> I'm employed by the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. And I've been doing this work for over 10 years. I absolutely love what I do. And my career is a huge component of my identity. But it's just one component. See, other folks, they get to meet me at a bar or something. I might be a little bit litty. And they might have a completely <laughs> different impression of me and might not even know that I have that kind of career. Right. Um, then there's like the person who does these one-on-ones with people checking on people's hearts. Um, there's David the family man. There's David the friend who, who some people have known for 10 years, but there's David the friend who you've known for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm here for either mm -hmm. one. Um, and I, we might get into this later, but um, I was also born into a very strict Christian family, and that has deeply shaped my worldview and the way I approach life. Yeah, and that was one of the things that, like, I, I was so interested when I first started, you know, to hang out with you, and because I was just so curious. Like, I, I had never known another person who was that devout Christian. I mean, I'm Catholic, so it didn't necessarily come. Can you tell us something about your upbringing? How how it was growing up Christian, especially in such like a <clears throat> a strict Christian household? I mean, someone of your pedigree. Um. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She brought it. She all right, it. all right, all right. We're, I'm gonna explain that pedigree comment in a second. I'm gonna explain that in good. just a second. Good, good. How, <laughs> how, what was it like to grow up? So, my my family was Pentecostal. Okay, so that's a specific kind of Christian. Um, if you don't know what that is, think of the people that you see in movies with like tambourines and having their hands up in the air during the service and maybe crying loudly, sometimes falling down on the ground. That's called getting slain in the spirit. Mm. Um, I grew up Pentecostal. I literally grew up in church. I was in the building at least three days a week. Sunday, we had two services. We had like a Tuesday night thing. We had a Friday night thing. So I was physically in church all week long. It was my community. <clears throat> it was my social circle. It was my reference point. I thought that all Christians grew up like I did. For example, I wasn't allowed to go to school on Halloween because that's the devil's day. See, I, I wasn't allowed you. to go to school dances. I wasn't allowed <laughs> to listen to secular music. Secular means anything not Christian. So wow. like Cardi B, wow. the Jonas Brothers, Solange. J Balvin, like, yes, none of that. Or perhaps some of the artists that were that were relevant when I was growing up, oh. like NSYNC, Britney Spears. Hey. Um, yeah, go ahead, read me. Um, 
child. I think so, I barely remember that when I was like three. The nerve, the nerve. Stop. You know what? You, you need to go on timeout. Like, I'm done with you. Ugh. But like in school, I didn't know them. I didn't know those artists. Wow. I knew their names, but I didn't know their music. I didn't know a lot of TV shows that other people knew. Yeah. So I, did go like, to, I did go to a public school, so I knew of things, but I wasn't part of it. So this, given that like this very rigid uh, upbringing, so you were in school uh, you know, during the daytime and then you were in church like in the evenings and also on the weekends, right, I'd imagine? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of your time was built up around Christianity. And what were some of the things that you learned? Like what were some of the core values um, that that Christian upbringing sort of cemented in you? Wow, I wasn't expecting that question. I. My parents and brother and basically my almost my entire family are still very devout, but it was my my immediate family, my two parents and my brother who whose approach to scripture really shaped who I am. Mm-hmm. I would say that fundamentally they lead their lives guided by compassion and love. Mm. And I think um, that has really it it propelled me into like the social services um into the way i i interact with people yeah and specifically the life and work of of the person we call jesus christ i think is very um inspiring yeah because like that's one of the things that i was really captivated when i started like learning a little bit more about him because it was it was totally different right to to have somebody grow up in a in a very dogmatic if you will christian household that held all of these rules from like living to school to their private life like it was it was interesting and one of the things that you just said right now was about compassion so i'm i'm actually curious and we're going to divert a little bit here how was it then you as a queer man growing up in a very very christian household one that held compassion at its core to be able to see that and say i'm also a queer man how did that actually come to be well, it was very difficult. It was very difficult realizing that I was gay in a fundamentalist Christian community. And that fear became internalized homophobia. And so I ex- I'm sure other people have had this experience, um, some of your listeners perhaps, but I experienced a lot of self-hatred a lot of self-loathing a lot of depression there were some dark years there to be sure yeah Mm -hmm. tell us more about that oh you want me to get into the nitty-gritty baby yes you are on the hot seat today (laughs) okay (laughs) i I see him blushing yeah i am he's not used to this he always flips it right he's like this is what i wanted (laughs) does somebody here want to tell me your heart no No. anyone no we're listening to yours um okay so Here's the deal, y- y'all. I grew up, I'm the, oh, the pedigree comment. Yes. Here's why she said that pedigree comment. I am the son of ministers. Mm. <laughs> I went to a Christian university, mm. honey. I am brother to a pastor. Mm. Mm. Who, Amen. Who has his MDiv and currently teaches at a seminary. Hallelujah. Hello. I am related to many pastors. Our, my extended family is basically all Christian on both sides. Wow. So... That's what I we joke at home that I have the Christian pedigree, honey. 
I should be running TBN. She's Christian loyalty. That yes. TBN is I mean, the, the Christian. Oops. Yeah, royalty. TBN is the Christian television network for, for, for those of y'all who don't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, there's. Wow. Yeah. And, and the question still stands, baby. Tell us about those darkness. Oh, right. Years. Thank you. Um, okay, so when whenever I became a teenager and I knew that being gay was unacceptable, at 19, I came out to my parents as having the term that we use is same-sex attraction. So I came home and I said, Mom and Dad, I have same-sex attraction, but I recognize that this is wrong and this goes against our beliefs, and I promise you I'm going to do something about it. How old were you? I was 19. 19. So at 19, you straight up had a conversation with your mom and dad saying, I have same-sex attractions. I did because wow. I, I I started college, undergrad at 17, mm. and I went to a Christian university called Biola here in L.A. And um, I think I naively, I was a, I was a very young 17-year-old, if, if that makes any sense. And naively, I think I believed that simply stepping foot onto that campus was going to turn me straight by osmosis or something. I thought... Mm just being around holier people would somehow help me. That wasn't happening. So at 19, I came home completely destroyed. I was so broken at the time. And I told my mom and dad, I have same-sex attraction, but I'm ready to do something about it. And I began a four-year journey of the term that they use is S-O-C-E, Sexual Orientation Change Efforts. And what that is, is you name it. I had a conversion therapist. I had a support group. I went to conferences. I had accountability brothers. I went to a, a ton of different programs and people to get help. And so in, in that process, like you, you elected, right? Like you selected to go through this process yeah. yourself. Absolutely, like absolutely. I was very passionate about it. I really felt led or called to do this uh, to change my sexual orientation however the further along I went through the programs mm -hmm. the more I realized change was more about suppression mm. folks who claim to change really what they learn are different forms of coping I'm gonna get real blunt here okay different forms of coping performing sexual acts with the opposite sex so for those of us who don't have that natural, raw, primal inclination to take down the opposite sex, they would help us build up an interest and or just be able to get through it and perform. So, it, so performance. Yeah. Wow. How did your family feel about this? Did they feel like that's what they wanted you to do or encouraged they, you? They did encourage me to do it. but. We didn't really talk about it at home much. They knew what I was doing, but it was a journey I was on mostly by myself. The people in the programs with me were a huge support, but my family was not really part of that. And when you talk about the people that were in the program, who like who were they? Where were they come from? Who, who were these kind of were folks? Were they men, women? Yeah. That was that's that's a really good question. They were both men and women of all ages, and that was probably the best part. And what kept me there for four years from 19 to 23 was just meeting other people like me. These were people who literally from all around the world. So I know people 
in that were in these programs from Germany, Colombia, Brazil, Canada, um, mm-hmm. young men like me who were Christian, who didn't want to be gay, and who were desperate. And so we found each other, and in each other, we had a little sub, 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 subset of a community. And when you said, this is it, right? Decided to go. How was that transition, and what got you there? Oh, girl. Okay. In the Bible, the Bible references homosexuality approximately seven times. The reason I say approximate is because even some of those passages do not directly deal with homosexuality, but rather you can infer that they're discussing that. So now you have seven passages shaping and impacting our entire society, our entire culture, our politics, our families. And when I went to go visit one of my buddies who was doing the program with me in Canada, he was on the verge of giving up, so to speak. And he took me to a church that he was attending. And at this church, it was the first time I saw gay people in a Christian church. And he explained to me that at this church it was acceptable um, and that there were lots of churches in Canada that where it was acceptable. He explained to me that Canada had passed gay marriage a long time ago, that culturally it was different over there. And that's when I realized how much of my own internalized homophobia was actually culturally based Mm. and not biblically based. Mm, Wow. That's when I was free. That's when I was free to be all of me. Um, Christian, gay, queer, Latino, male, whatever, but I could be all of it. And since then, I've come to expand my understanding and, and know that the Bible talks about homosexuality seven times, but it talks about love over 500 times. It talks about how we should address poverty hundreds of times. It talks about joy, compassion, um, these concepts that we don't embrace as much or we don't pay as much attention to. But then you have these seven passages that talk about homosexuality and you have these huge cultural divides. And so when I was able to understand that, I really felt free. And those folks that were in the in the program with you, right? Were they supportive when you decided to leave? Not, no, not all of them. It was tough. It was very painful too. Because then I felt like I was leaving another family behind. But I also knew that I had to do this. Once I started experimenting with a gay identity, I saw my mental health improve. I saw my physical health improve. Uh. I saw my relationships improve. I mean, I'm here to say that coming out was literally the best decision I have ever made for myself. The the idea of of finding yourself free you know you talk about these like four years of you going through this process and then setting yourself free and then finally accepting you know david as a homosexual gay guy who's latino who can embrace all of these things together so it it just sort of feels like you were piecing you know pieces you know you're piecing yourself together 
Um, what was that process like? Because I'm, I'm kind of curious because it sort of reminds us of how we all build different identity, right? It's like our identity formation. That's a tough question. And, and I haven't formed an answer to that because I do think back to those years. And in a way, they're a blur. Maybe that's just a trauma mm. of it. Um, I think many of us who are struggling with dual identities move through a process of reconciliation. And so my reconciliation of those competing identities looked, uh, it looked patchy, it looked crunchy, it looked, it, I wouldn't even have had the words to describe it then. It sounds like I don't even have the words to describe it now. I'm just so grateful that I did reconcile the two mm -hmm. and um, I can move forward with my life. And coming out on the other side, um, what began to form for you? Mm -hmm. What was the life that began to form? That was actually February 2009. Wow. So earlier this year, when, when everyone was putting out the 10-year challenge pictures, I decided to go back in time and start looking at those pictures. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, whoa, that was when I came out. And it was painful to look at those pictures. I see that person, and I wish I could tell him, you are going to be so incomprehensibly happy. You are going to have the most amazing people around you, and you're going to love yourself more than you ever thought. See, because that kid didn't know. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if anyone's listening to this, and if you're struggling with being gay and being Christian, please reach out to me. I would love to talk to you. I love to talk about spirituality, faith, religion, anything of that nature. I'm here for it. Um, Oh, I got, I got, I got carried away. Yeah. So, so you began to form, you know, your life on the other side of that about ten years ago. So, what were some of the first steps? What were some of the first things that you wanted to sort of hold on to? Things that are memorable to yeah. this day. Damn, these are hard questions. Um, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I think the first thing that stands out is community, like learning how to relate. So, <laughs> look, y'all. There is such thing as a gay community. We mm -hmm. have our own culture. And I didn't know what a lot of things meant. I didn't know what they were. I was still very conservative. So I've had to do a lot of growing and learning. In fact, maybe we need to take some steps back nowadays, but but I'm basically I'm I what formed in those early days was understanding. It was um just to be around people who are different from me and to learn from them and to grow. And I've now I uh, welcome people who are different from me because I do learn so much from them. I have a question. Uh oh. What was your first describe your first experience at a gay club? Ooh, this is a good one. Yo, <laughs> yo, yo. The thing is, is I remember that. Yeah. I do. I do. Because I don't know how it was for y'all or anyone listening, but I actually had the experience of feeling like I came home. Mm. Mm. I really did. And oh my God, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but <laughs> the song that was playing when I walked into the club was Diva by Beyonce. Yes. <laughs> Her soundtrack. And. It was at the venue where Blow currently is, but mm. back then it was called um, Cherry Pop. 
The ironies are endless. Cherry pop. I I believe it was called Cherry Pop or yeah. the the venue was called Ultra Suede, I think. Yeah. It's I mean, it's it was such a long time ago. Who's who knows? But <laughs> I do remember feeling like I was home. I felt um I just really enjoyed staring at gay people and looking at images of what I could be or of a life that I could have. Because I think when you grow up Christian you and gay, you begin to accept that you're not going to have what other people have. And I had, re- I had um, resigned myself to stay alone in life, not to be happy in my career, not to have good friends who really knew me. Um, and so going to like West Hollywood and different gay venues, I, I was, I was excited. I was excited for, for the possibilities of who I could be. Yeah. So I, I would imagine then that at that point you started seeing how could I really get to know so many other different people, bringing them together, understand differences in folks. And is that how you got into your line of work, into your teachings, into your learning about people? No, I think I think that was always there. I okay. think that it's innate. I think I took a class my junior year of high school and the counselor told me you would be a good counselor. You would be a good therapist. At the time, I didn't know what that meant or what it, what that would look like for me. But um, after graduating from undergrad, I started working and my supervisor was a clinical social worker and she guided me and wherever she may be, I'm so grateful for her because my life really took off after that. Look at inspiring the children. What is one thing that you have learned from your clients doing social work, psychotherapy that you apply to your life? Yikes. Okay, so I have been doing psychotherapy for approximately six or seven years. I have literally had the privilege, and I do say privilege, to speak to hundreds of people. And in doing so, I have heard the most horrific stories, the most painful life experiences, the most vulnerable situations. I see people when they are they're at their most broken. And for that, I'm really grateful because it shows me um, the blessings that I have. And in my being present for my clients, I can actually be present for myself and I can be present for my loved ones. So you've been you've been a therapist, a psychotherapist for six years, just about just about six years. Right. So tell us where does this happen? Where where do you do this? Are you private? Are you public? What's up? All right. The technicalities. So I I work for L.A. County Department of Mental Health. The clinic that I work for is located in the city of Hawthorne. Um, We are an adult outpatient clinic. So most of my therapeutic experience has been with adults. Mm-hmm. And mostly adults of color. So I, I, I wanted to make sure that that came out because you and I, um, babe, have had some conversations about trauma and generational trauma and what happens specifically to poor black and brown folks who are the ones that you mostly work with. Most of them are also undocumented or first generation. And so I wanted to just bring up how, you know, you and I have had conversations, for example, about the detention centers. like. I remember very vividly um, that you had a, 
a visceral reaction to, to seeing the news and hearing the news of families uh, and kids were being separated at the border and then, then put into detention centers for a long time. So what would, like, as a, from a therapist perspective, from a professional perspective, like, what does that say about us? Wow. I did have a visceral reaction when the camps started, or, mm -hmm. or at least when we became aware of them. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with things to say. Here's the, here's the thing. When it comes to the human condition, in other words, you know, the, the milestones, the biology, the, the socializing, everything that goes into the human experience, there is a bottom line. What I mean by that is that there are things that we should and shouldn't do to each other as humans, regardless of one's political stance, um, regardless of how you feel towards people who are different from you, people who are, have a different color from you, etc. There is a bottom line, and taking a child from their caregiver violates that bottom line for me. Mm -hmm. And so when, because Ernesto is referencing that I. <laughs> As many of us do sometimes, I wrote a I wrote a uh, mani manifesto mm. on Facebook back then. It would have been about a year ago, right? Yeah, babe? about a year ago. Yeah, and yeah, I was extremely passionate, and and my voice is that of a therapist. I'm speaking from the reference point of a mental health professional. I see the trauma, the excuse me, the effects of trauma in mm -hmm. adults. Um, and I'm deeply worried about these kids. I think about them all the time. When I see the clips, it, it, it hurts me. It pains me. Um, just for me to think about the, the PTSD, the attachment issues they're going to have, the trouble they're going to have forming um, remorse and compassion, the trouble they're going to have knowing coping skills towards depression, the trouble they're going to have socializing. Um, yeah. The list is endless. I, I think why, why this was so interesting when we were having this discussion was that I, like, I usually look at these issues from a very political, like social political standpoint. And I'm like, yo, we got to shut these camps down. Like we got to go in there. Like we got to change these trade agreements. We got to like fix the violence that's happening in other countries and why they're coming up here. So I always look at it from a political perspective. So being able to hear it from that perspective of a mental health professional like really helped me to understand that every issue whatever it is that we're discussing has so many different layers to it and for me it's actually a really good practice to actually have these conversations with you because it, it kind of sets sets me down and, and calms down my political mind and says okay cool like that's the politics aspect of it but when you really think about it from from the kids, and, and by the way, like they're continuing to happen, and we just right, heard, right. you know, the other day that Trump has now um, made uh, an administrative announcement that now they can keep these kids indefinitely, so they can no longer stay there for just twenty more days. Like it's indefinite detention. Like, just imagine the the trauma and the generational like mental I'm, health issues that that's going to bring. I mean, I also don't think that any of this is ac accidental. Right. I think that. If anything, it is intentional to, I mean, the, the way that you affect people, really affect a generation of people, that you really affect a group of people, mm. is by messing with their children. Yeah. 
um, and it's by creating generational trauma that will be passed down, right? Right. right. Um, so all of this is like the works of white supremacy really being intentional about yep. its, its, you know, its abused. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could. There's so many historical references to this. I mean, we can talk about 400 years of slavery, Japanese concentration camps. Right. That we can talk about. You know, the 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 separation of Mexican migrants that were coming to work and, you know, taking Operation Wetback. There's so many different historical references that we can use, and here yet is another example of the proliferation of politics to to really uh, disunify and and break down families. So so. And back when I wrote my manifesto on Facebook, I recall a couple people came <laughs> for me on came for me in the comments section, of course. And I recall just feeling so angry, first of all, and feeling like I wish you could acknowledge um, what my reference point is or rather respect that. I'm a licensed professional, mm. right? We're not talking about politics. I'm talking about human beings. I'm talking about trauma and the effects of trauma. So in other words, as a country, we are perpetuating violence. We are systematically hurting these kids. And who were these people? Were they family, <laughs> friends? Where did they come from? Right. Throw let's, them under the bus. You know what? Let's do let's this. Go. <laughs> we out here. A little bit of both, but not. it wasn't too negative. Mm. It, were, it was literally three people. Um, but it was three too many. They've mm -hmm. all been, each of them have been deleted, removed, and canceled. Um, <laughs> but, but my point is, is that's why I said that there's a bottom line. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about the human condition, there's a bottom line. Mm -hmm. And what's going on is unacceptable. Like you said violence, perpetration of bigotry, and hatred. So we just witnessed this past weekend, uh, and you know, a, a very direct and specific example of that against uh, trans women and queer uh, folks at Las Perlas, uh, this restaurant in downtown LA that systematically abused, um, pushed these women out um, who were being victims of, uh, you know, hate crimes at, and slurs and, you know, all that stuff at the actual restaurant. And so you also reacted like, Oh hail to the not. Tell us about that, because like I, I always like to hear from your perspective, because again, it's the politics aside. Is like, what the f is going on here? What did you think about that, baby? Yeah, I mean, again, there's a bottom line, and and so I did. <laughs> I got really mad because I go to Las Perlas. I've been to Las Perlas tons of times. Yeah. My cousin had his birthday there last year. I mean, we we go all the time, and. I didn't I actually didn't need to hear much when it comes to sides in terms of there being two sides to a story. I didn't need to hear much. The video speaks for itself. People, humans were forcibly removed from the bar. Um, now, I used to love reality TV. <clears throat> I don't watch reality TV anymore. Now I just read comments on Instagram <laughs> and the comments, baby were making me so mad yeah. because people, obviously they make it a, a trans issue, they make it a queer issue, they make it an LGBT issue, they make it a mm -hmm. color issue. And it is those issues, absolutely. The, um, I, I, I fully agree that these folks were discriminated against. However, on the, on the other side, 
you can you can leave all of that out and just say you threw two hu- three humans out of the bar in a really aggressive and violent way and that's just not okay the bar came out with a statement the next day that fell short it was extremely um manufactured and cold did not Weak. take any responsibility or a- accountability um the community has been really upset since then the business put out a second statement which is better but still falls terribly short and so you know to your initial question my response was just anger you know not in my backyard yeah so we've spoken about you know political issues right as well as spirituality and, and 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 faith right how do those two things um connect for you now in the era of Trump when you hear so-called Christians, right, um, supporting detention centers, supporting separation of children and families, um, and also anti-LGBT comments. How do you deal with that? And um, what do you think coming from someone who grew up um, in, in Christian church? Well, the question is, how do I deal with that? Mm. And that's that's the problem <laughs> you know <laughs> growing up in a christian community and i want to i want to be clear it wasn't all bad i didn't grow up um locked in a room i grew up in a loving family in a loving community of very beautiful people some of whom i miss very much i think about a lot of the people that i grew up with um and so how i deal with the bigotry hmm I think I haven't always dealt with it in a healthy way, maybe by escaping or engaging in like fantasy, creating my own fantasies. But here in trying to um, reconcile a a Christian identity with a queer identity and or a, uh, what's the opposite of conservative? Progressive. 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 Progressive, yeah. Et cetera, you name it. To reconcile those identities, I... The best thing, the best tool I have is to accept that I can't as one. I don't know. Wow. I'm Mm. really, I really, I have so much trouble with it because the reason I'm having trouble answering your question is without fail, when I watch the news or hear a comment or read a comment by a Christian, it feels personal. It feels mm-hmm. like you and me could have grown up in church together, Got side to by side. School. Yeah, we could have been in college together. Our families are the same. We might believe much of the same things. How did this happen? How do we defer this much? How do you interpret scripture in this way that is so damaging to people? So I don't get it, and so I don't know how I'm coping with it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's the, this whole piece of like being able to be like being able to hear the scripture and then being able to have it be a political issue. Right. So when you're talking about politics and then Christianity coming together and then utilizing the word, you know, the good word, the word of the Bible to then do political acts. It's just like, how do you, you know, untangle that and be able to, for example, have someone in office currently who probably is not a practicing Christian, but uses it. I, what I have heard you say in the past before, babe, is that you like this whole idea of 
you, you have said this to me before. He's like, I will go up to anybody and discuss the Bible left and right because I have read that so many different times. That is not what the Bible says. So I, I actually love that, like, you have that very stronghold of knowledge um, analysis to be able to say, like, nah, that's not what that passage means or that's not the interpretation. You're flipping it or you're using it in a different way. So that's that. that what do you Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, sometimes I fantasize about having like a platform called Dear Christians. Mm. And I just want to I just want to write like short excerpts, just short statements saying, Dear Christians, can we take a second look? When you look at the life and work of of Jesus, the person whom the religion is based on, everything from his character, his approach to people, his lifestyle, um, whom he spoke to, everything speaks to a different way than what we have now. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, people are paranoid against each other. They're xenophobic. They are homophobic. They are every kind of phobic. Um, people are not really here for each other. They're here for themselves. Right. And so I, I often, you know, fantasize about having that dialogue with someone about the Bible. Um, you have heard it here first in Loose Accents. <laughs> Coming up next yep. is a segment called Dear Christians. Yeah, but, for but, real, though, that's a good, <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a good idea. That's a good one. And a good project. You don't know how much I would love to do this, but here's the thing. Here's what gets me, here's what irks me, is that low-key Christians cancel me because... I'm gay. Mm. Mm. It doesn't matter that I'm the son of ministers. It doesn't matter that I went to a Christian university. It doesn't matter that I've read the Bible myself a hundred times or whatever. Because I'm gay, it is automatically null and void based on that one thing. That pedigree, baby, that pedigree ain't working. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, y'all, if you have to, if you are just tuning in right now, we were having an amazing conversation with the one and only amazing, beautiful, my partner, mi morenito del alma, David. Uh, and babe, I actually want to switch gears here real quick because we uh, we took the moment and the opportunity to ask all of the baddies. And for those of y'all who listen up, you know who the baddies are. So the baddies are our beautiful group of friends who no. we had an amazing summer together. No, you didn't. And so both D'Angeli and I asked all of the buddies, all of the baddies, excuse us, to come up with questions oh to ask. On a separate chat. I'm Hello. scared. I'm scared. Yeah, so coming up to the stage is... Agustin. Ooh, girl. Okay. What's up, Augie, baby? Agustin submitted a question. He asked this. Tell us about your alter ego, Whitney. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. So you know how earlier I said that one of my modes of coping is fantasy? And also I I talked about having personas and whatever. That's, That's me. That's part of me is that I do like to create these vibes, these personas, just to deal with the foolishness of this world. And so right. 
Oh my gosh, one of them is named Whitney, and she's she's just like because I I am originally from Orange County, which by the way, y'all is not what you see on TV. I grew up I grew up middle class, regular house, everything regular, but Whitney is like a rich girl from Orange County who is all about having fun and yes. just wants to take shots. <laughs> we, love, we we all know a Whitney. Whitney Whitney comes out um, every Friday and Saturday yeah. before West Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. We before love Whitney. Fault Line. So tell us about her. What is she like? What is she into? Who 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 she be? What does her wardrobe look like? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> well, Whitney wasn't really big on Hot Girl Summer, but I hear she's really excited for a Christian Girl Fall. <laughs> <laughs> she has she has her favorite Uggs ready. Mm. She has her scarves, even though she lives in California. Mm. <laughs> for mm. the aesthetics. Absolutely. She has her J. Crew sweaters. Does prepared. she drink Starbucks? Please, yes. every day. They know her. <laughs> she just walks up. And they go, Whitney, their usual. And she goes, yes. <laughs> Venti iced latte. So thank you, Agustin, for that amazing question. Coming up to the stage now, we have Eric Espiritu, who asks, what would your life be today if you were straight? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I honestly. <laughs> okay, if I was straight with my exact personality that I have right now, I would I would be married. Mm. I would probably have four kids. Four kids. Yeah. I would still be living in Orange County. I would be attending the church that I grew up in. Would it be a pastor? I would be a pastor, probably. Oh, damn. Yeah, I would. Wow. Could you see him like that? You know, like out here just thumping away. No. 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 <laughs> Because I feel like I met, like, Whitney David. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine him as straight David now. Well, y you know, we talked about my coming out process. Mm. And in that, um, not to go dark, but I remember countless nights crying myself to sleep, pray begging, not praying, begging God to perform a miracle on me, and the next morning that I would be straight. Mm. Let it be clear today, I do not, nor will I ever want to be straight. I love being a queer man and I don't want it any other way. And that was a public service announcement. There you go. There you go. accents. So, Sebi baby. Yes. All the way from Boston. Most likely started his first day of class today. Yes, he's been in orientation. Yes. Right? Ah, David, you are known for your fashion forward looks. But which of your looks have you looked back and thought, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> I feel like I need his BFF to bring out the yeah. Long Beach pictures. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> like the, the 19 like, Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you, Sebi Baby, for that wonderful question. The thing about that is that all of those photos and pictures were lost in the great fire of 2016. <laughs> um, unfortunately, no images survived. And since then, I've loved everything I wore. Just kidding. Please. Um, t all, I, I have regrets all the time, actually. 
I'll look back at something and be like, uh, maybe that wasn't the vibe. But here's the thing is that I live for the fantasy of the moment. Mm. You know, depending on what day of the week it is, what night of the weekend it is and who's coming, I'm going to feel a vibe and I'm going to go with that vibe. Thank you, Dr. Ferrada, coming all the way from Boston. <laughs> now, please step onto the stage, Vanessa, who also just moved to the East Coast. And from is New now, York. Yeah, she's now in the Bronx getting her <laughs> PhD, honeys. Uh, at Fordham University, and she asks, because Vanessa is a social worker, so she put on her shades, her glasses, and she says, how do you feel social work impacts the current political climate? So social workers are the bomb. <laughs> so if you want the world to be a better place, let social workers run things. Mm. Let social workers make decisions. Let social workers make policies. Because social workers um, stay informed by the needs of the community. Mm. And we know um, outcomes. Uh, basically, we're amazing. Mm. So, mm -hmm. you know, to answer her question, social workers need to be involved in politics because, <clears throat> and I'm not biased or anything, but <laughs> I just think that social workers are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting us non-social workers know. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Calvillo and Vanessa for that. So up next, está tu prima, <gasps> la Oswaldo. Oh, Oswaldo. Oh, I'm scared of this one. If you had to be on a reality TV show, which one will you choose? Uh, I think I might know this. Mm -hmm. No, you guys seriously will never guess this because you don't think I would do this. What? Survivor. No, but no. No, uh, no. 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 Yes, I would. No. Uh, you would be the first one out. That's it. You'd no. be the first one out. What? No. I want to try. I was looking for some, I don't know. Like basketball wives. Yes. Or oh, please. social no, no, no. workers of LA wives, you know? Maybe even keeping up with the baddies. I don't know. Something. Look, I've been compared to one or two housewives. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been asked if I was on Shaws of Sunset. Right. Vanderpump Rules. Uh, Southern Charm. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what's so funny? Like, so when I first started dating David, there was like a social, like on social media, somebody asked him if he would be on a social, like in a reality TV show. And he was like, hey, what do you think about this? And I was like, uh, I don't know, but I don't know if you should do it. And that's where that, you told me about this. Yeah. Yeah. Like straight up. So I, I, I rarely talk about this because, be, <laughs> because so it's true. I, I was approached to... She was recruited. She was. I was approached to be one of the contenders, or I don't know the term, on a Millionaire Matchmaker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were, they were going to have a gay millionaire, and they they had me do a Skype interview, and they were starting like my storyline. I was yeah. going to be oh my God. The, Christian, the innocent Christian social worker from Orange County. Blah, blah, oh blah, blah. My tagline was... I've been the best man in three weddings. It's my turn now. Or so. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. No. Yeah. 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 But I, it was in my early days of dating Ernesto. 
And so I did approach him and I said, hey, Ernesto, hey, babe, this, this, this and this and this is happening. What do you think? And he was so sweet. He was like, oh, um, well, this sounds really cool. Yeah, you should you should do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should try that. But I didn't want him to do it. Are you kidding me? Like, no. But you were being supportive. I was. I was like, you know, maybe he needs to try it. It's a new experience. Let him get into it. But I'm glad he didn't do it. <laughs> He didn't, he didn't, I said, babe, I just have to show up to the mixer and it's up to the millionaire to choose me. He probably won't choose me. And what I was like, of course he's going to choose. Imagine you. he did. Yeah, he was like, he would have been chosen. He didn't I think want, so too. he didn't want an old man touch touching me or taking me on a date or whatever and no. so i think that's fair and this wraps up the question of baddies ask questions but i feel like ernesto was getting comfortable being the one asking questions like to david no so i no. wanted to prepare my own little segment where i ask secret questions oh so now we come up with segments exactly <laughs> where i put uh. you both on the hot seat we didn't know we didn't talk about this uh, <laughs> sir he's out here sweating already oh Sa sagittarius's don't like surprises <laughs> it Ooh. won't be bad though it won't be bad all right it's just i feel like both of you as a couple have a lot to teach others a lot to teach other couples um and other queer couples especially so there's one thing that you have mentioned before while i was around mm -hmm. that i found so 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 cool and it was the cultural exchange that you have. Uh, I want you to expand on that. <laughs> and how often do you do it? Oh my God. What it is? And how, what have you shared that like have surprised the other? Uh, okay, so cultural exchanges. So, um, okay, so David and I, uh, when David and I first met, um, you know, I like, I guess I had this like preconceived notion that like I'm meeting this beautiful brown man who lives in Long Beach is a social worker. I'm like, he's going to go in, uh, like completely understand my side of the politics and we were just going to go in. One of our first dates was to go to uh, uh, the movies and we went to go see I Am Not Your Negro. So I take David, he's like sitting right next to me. And I'm like so into the movie. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fuck this, fuck that, fuck white supremacy, all this stuff. And then David is next to me, like not having it. He's sitting like he's sitting right now with his arms like, you know, crossed. Um, and so from that moment, I realized like, oh, it's it's a totally difference of of politics. And so we were we were actually clashing a lot. Like there were many moments that we clashed. I would like to clarify oh, no. that. <laughs> oh no! See, I would. Look. I would like to clarify that our politics are pretty much the same. Yes. It's that our approaches are different. Yes, that that's true. And 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 we come at it from from different ways. But one of the things that happened in in our relationship was that we wanted to. We it, it, we were actually missing each other. And so I had asked him. I was like, Well, what if we like start learning? Because it was very clear to me that from him, you know, growing up in public schools going to a Christian university and being around a lot of Christians. And re remember what he said earlier, that he didn't have a lot of the secular knowledge that we all have. And so he wasn't introduced, in my purview, to the things that I was introduced. Like, he, had, he didn't know about the color purple. And I was like, wow. wow. And, and, and it was like, honestly, a question like, do you not know about the color purple? He's like, no, no, 
I was never introduced to it. I vaguely remember that at my elementary school, we had to sign a permission slip for it, and I don't think my parents signed. Oh, shit. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So it was like little things like that. And so from that point, we, we decided to enter into a cultural exchange program where him and I, we would do like, we would take turns. So I would introduce him to things that were very important and seminal to like my consciousness raising. And so the first thing that I chose was to watch The Color Purple because that's like the most important seminal piece of work for me. And so we sat down one weekend and we were watching The Color Purple and this man was out here crying. <laughs> As he should. As he should. Crying. I was. You know, and, and then he like, he was so appreciative of it. And so that was my turn and then it was his turn. So, babe, what did you introduce me to in your cultural exchange? Okay, you guys are trying to ambush me. <laughs> no. You guys are trying to ambush me because he talked about, what did you, you, you said you showed me a piece that was seminal to your consciousness? Yes, to my consciousness. Right? What does that even mean? <laughs> he'll, he'll okay, there. because he'll get there. Because my contributions to the cultural exchange program were a little bit more whimsical and light. Mm. I took it more as like sharing parts about my life that, mm. that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so that being said, I exposed him to I Love Lucy. <sighs> yeah. Because in my Christian ass household, that's the show that I was able to watch a lot of, like a lot. So I know all of oh I Love God. Lucy. Yeah. So, side note, I went to Palm Desert this weekend, and we went to Indian Wells Resort. Yes. It was a 1950s-themed resort. We um, were probably the only black people in mile, and like miles from this resort. Every single, I mean, there were multiple hallways to like the bedrooms. Every single hallway had I Love Lucy mm -hmm. pictures everywhere oh, yeah. and i tell nicholas nicholas is yes my boyfriend oh god and <laughs> i'm like babe did you ever did you grow up watching i love lucy like do you know what i love lucy he's from jamaica so i'm like because i vaguely remember learning about it in high school but did you and he's like oh no i think i've like seen people watching it on movies so like he's watched people <laughs> watching it <laughs> on movies like they've had it on mm -hmm. and i went deep into google oh, learning okay. about i love lucy because i felt like it was a part of like american tv that i lost as a child and i just didn't have right because i'm an immigrant and also i didn't speak english yeah and also i grew up in the bronx right and I learned so much. So the fact that you said that right now just like made me so excited. But but look, I feel like I, I understand things now. <laughs> yeah, like no, and, and we're talking I'm like about a bit like more American. I assimilate a little bit. This <laughs> basically, basically, but we're talking about like a huge connoisseur of yeah. I Love Lucy. Like this man, I remember one time like when we were watching, he was like, oh, oh like little things in life kind of bring him to talk about some things. So he was like, oh, let me let, let me get it. So he gets on his phone, looks for all these different things. So he remembers scenes, like particular scenes in episodes and seasons, and he goes and finds it. Like, how do you know that? It, it's 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 kind of insane. Me with friends. Ugh. <laughs> but I, but I also showed him like clips of church, 
Like I, yeah. I looked up clips of, of like assemblies of God. That's the name of my denomination. Um, Pentecostal churches. Mm. So he would understand the terminology of like getting slain in the spirit of speaking in tongues. Um, I know some of y'all out there think speaking in tongues is one thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no. I'm I'm here to tell you the Christians started it first. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> They're out here slaying, slaying the whole world. And then the funny enough, one of the things that he had me watch that I was actually like, okay, cool, because I had never watched this. Uh, it was Gone with the Wind. <laughs> So he which, made me watch. Which, which I know is super problematic. I know that. But you, you know what? Baby. <laughs> okay. I watched Gone in the Wind. What is it? Gone, Gone, with, the Gone wind. with the Wind. Whatever. Yes, I think baby. I read that. There's a book, right? I'm yes. Like, yeah. like in eighth grade. And then I watched the movie like with Spanish translations. Baby. <laughs> On Telemundo. <laughs> oh, stop. Okay. You know those Sunday movies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it, though. I was really young. So it was funny because he, 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 like at this point, he was like, okay, babe, we're going to watch. And we set a Saturday afternoon to watch this. And he was like, okay, hold on. But before we watch it, there's some disclaimers. Like there's, like it's, there's a lot of racism. There's about slavery. It's about just all the stuff that I know you don't care about. But let's just give it a try. Baby, I, I like I watched it. And I was like, well, I could appreciate the concept. Like, I get it. Like, I understand it. And there were some interesting characters in there. The whole idea of love and Scarlet and, like, you know, all this stuff is, is awesome. And the fantasy of it all. Like, I totally got it. And then um, there's, if you watch the movie, like, there's an intermission. Mm. And I literally looked over at this man like, there is an intermission in this four-hour film so we stopped the movie, went to go get popcorn, came back. Oh it was a full-on experience. Like, Oh, my God. Yeah. So so we, we did cultural exchange as a way to, to, to connect, as a way to say, like, I know that we have different upbringings and different ways of approaching some issues, but... He doesn't know it yet, but coming up next, he's going to watch the Hollywood version of Moses <laughs> with Charlton Heston. <laughs> And in return, he'll show you the novella that's playing on Telemundo right now. <sighs> Moises. So, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you all an update on our next cultural exchanges program because this will be interesting. I have another question, but <sighs> this one is for David. Because I feel like we got we to gotta, we gotta go back to okay, you know how it. we started, uh -huh. right? A lot of our antics, the way we throw shade, our terminology... Mm -hmm. Our mannerisms, mm -hmm. a lot of them, if not most, come from David. Okay. So I want to ask, where do you come up with this stuff and why? I'll start with the why. <laughs> okay, Miss Venezuela. Like. <laughs> Good evening, esteemed judges. Just kidding. I'll, I'll start with the why. Because fantasy is a form of coping for me. Mm. I, I, I know I mentioned that already, but fantasy is a form of coping. And therefore, um, my, my being larger than life is one of the personas I have. And that character, that fantasy, he has a lot to say. He likes to be fun with his terminology and with mm -hmm. his expressions. And so... I don't want to call my friend Agustin Agustin. I want to call him Augie. Mm. Augie baby. I like to call Sebastian Sebi. <laughs> I know I'm like a little kid, but it's just, and then 
you're probably gonna ask me like where did i get baby yes yes well because i i work with people who say baby but they say it casual normal and i just need to add my own little flair and be like baby with shade Uh are you listening baby with the attitude Mm -hmm. into it right Mm -hmm. so one last question hit us and i have to be honest i did not come up with this question Nick came up with this question. Oh, so Ooh. Nick is coming in the picture too. Yes. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, okay. okay. His shady ass asked, what does conflict resolution <laughs> <laughs> looks like for both of you? Yeah. Um, do you want to go, babe? I, I'm going to start by yeah. saying we're, we're good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, think really we're, I think we're, I think we're, well, we're blessed not to have a lot of conflicts but mm-hmm. but like every couple does we do have conflicts occasionally and i think the best strategy we have is to recognize when one of the two or both people are compromised mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when i say compromised i mean you're too angry to have a dialogue you're yeah. too hurt to have a dialogue you're too petty to have a dialogue you're you fill in the blank and so we are really good at respecting space and time um but not excessively because some couples can create space and then it fizzles out and they never talk about it we're Mm. extremely intentional about Mm -hmm. returning to resolve the disagreement and i think the key word in this is is the intentionality of saying okay i need to take space and and for the most part i feel like most of where that comes from is from me because i am a highly highly emotional person that actually takes a couple of steps back to say okay i really need to be with my emotions and and try to identify what's going on um and then i come back and but it actually took me a while for me to tell david that that's what i needed but he quickly understood that that's what i needed to do um and now i can verbalize it and say you know what i think i just need to walk away from this like i'm gonna take a couple of days off or maybe just a day to just think about it and we will revisit it and we do we come back you know less 24 hours less than 24 hours later come back um and then we revisit the conversation and it's important also for us to set some ground rules about where the conversation is going Mm. um we've actually tried a couple of different tactics there's been times where like I brought a little bit of like my Buddhist teachings in this where we like sit face to face in front of one another where things have been really, really like tense. And like we put like, you know, I put like some flowers in the middle and then, you know, we're like talking to one another and I'm like, hey, I want to tell you this. And and we do that. But what's really important is that he follows like we are engaged, constantly engaged and identifying like what the difference is, like why are we why why is there conflict and a lot of the time it's just about understanding one another's like each other's needs um or when our needs have been compromised and so when we arrive at what was the issue then what also is not talked about is then the following steps because it's Mm -hmm. one thing to say here is why i've been compromised i'm so upset at you i'm angry like i don't want to be around you and when you get to the point of like reunification or you you're you're done with it then it's the next step the next step for me is about bravery it's about courage it's about trust that yes we had that issue 
and we've worked it out and I trust you and I'm going to be brave in this and saying that we're going to move forward. And then we take a step and we take a step together. Another thing to highlight is that resolution is not a one conversation deal. Mm. We try to do <clears throat> regular check-ins with each other mm-hmm. and when we do those check-ins, we have to um, you know, we have to revisit the grievance to ensure that it's truly over. Yeah. I think a lot of people let things fizzle out, but truly what that builds is re- resentment or something goes unsaid or that initial um, talk toward resolution perhaps didn't cover everything. And so a second mm. or third or fourth follow-up conversation is really important. Yeah. That's so helpful. I feel like a lot of people would appreciate that. I have, I have, one, more, I have one more tip that I'm, I want to own, own something, mm. something that I'm learning towards um, resolving conflicts with Ernesto and I want to give this tip to everyone is not to use not to make you statements but rather to make I statements so instead of saying Ernesto you didn't make the bed you didn't do the laundry and you didn't mop the floor or whatever I, I don't know we're not mopping the floor often but right. um, instead of saying it that way it would say it would be Ernesto I am hurt yeah. that the bed wasn't made because it's important for me for these reasons and kind of keep it about yourself. That gives the other person an opportunity to have compassion for your point of view. Right. We've actually been utilizing a lot um, that lately to just be like, I feel this way. My experience of your behavior was this and this is what I felt. This is what that taught me or what have you. I've actually read that before because I've definitely looked up some conflict resolution tips. Why? (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is not about me <laughs> so in closing <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry I'm and so- this is what he's good at y'all mm-hmm. literally JK. every conversation he's like so let's talk about you uh-huh. and he's very like slick with it yeah what, why did Nick ask baby baby <laughs> on the next episode I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm just kidding before the announcements, I just, baby, I want to thank you so much for, for you know, coming and, and really going deep on these conversations. Like, She opened up today. She opened up. It has been my pleasure. It felt completely natural. My hope, Dangeli actually asked me what I wanted to get out of this, and I gave her a sincere reply, which is, I hope that someone, somewhere, would hear something relatable. Hmm. And I think definitely... There's going to be so many folks. I think, I, honestly, to this, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I think this might be one of the best episodes we've had. Mm. It, 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 I mean, it, maybe it, top one. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like it makes sense to, to bring it all together, right? At the very yes. at the very end of our first season. So, again, babe, thank you so much for, for coming out. My and, pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> we love you. Thank we you, love you. you. And, you. you know, I'm going to see you in 30 minutes when we go home. So <laughs> so you ain't going nowhere. And by the way, Ernesto, I'm really um, I'm really hurt that you didn't make the bed. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, we're already here. <laughs> Listen up, babies. We are so, so excited that this episode will come out on Monday, but we will take a short break and releasing it because our next episode our next full episode which will be for season two will be on october 7th uh, because we are in the middle in the middle of working out a very incredible amazing project for all of our babies out there 
a little surprise uh -huh. for a six month. What is it? Half anniversary. Half anniversary. We have a very very cool um, event planning uh, planned out for y'all. So more on that on our social media. Please make sure that you tune in. Um, for more updates on that and then also what Dangeli and I are going to be doing. Yep, and remember to follow us on Instagram mm -hmm. at Lou's Accent. And me, I am on DocuBay. I am Afro Dominican X Things. And you can always check on any of our first 10 episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you name it. Make sure that you go out there. We have 10 episodes, y'all, in season one. There's a little thing for everyone. Thank you all so much for listening these past 10 episodes, these past six months. We appreciate it so much. And thank you for showing us love when you see us, even if we're a little bit awkward. Mm -hmm. David already called us out. Mm -hmm. But thank you so much. And listen, blessings. And thanks for listening to Loose Accents. Accents.